Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. Thank you. Thank you very much. Praise God. So good to be with you tonight. Nancy, thank you so much for your kind words. It's an honor to be here. Uh, Many of you I know, many of these pastors, I've preached in their churches over the years. And uh, what a joy it is to be in this particular meeting. I do believe it is a divine appointment. Amen. Amen. So let's lift our hands one more time and just bless the Lord. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place tonight. And we invite you to minister among us in any way that you desire. We thank you, Father, that you have a great plan for each and every one of us. Our best days are not behind us. They're just ahead of us. And we appreciate the fact that the Holy Spirit is here leading and guiding us, taking us into new heights, new dimensions. And we thank you so very much for being the God that you are, the good God, the, the, the God that does all things well. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him another good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I heard Jesse Plantis was here last night. I heard Jesse was here this morning. And knowing him, he talked about me. So I got here as quick as I could to straighten out the mess. That boy is a mess. Many of you probably never heard this story. Some of you have, but uh, it's my story and I like telling it, so I want to hear myself tell it again. (laughs) I I was born in Mississippi, but I grew up in Louisiana. And uh, I began college at Louisiana Tech in 1964. And then I transferred over to Northwestern State College in Natchitoches, Louisiana uh, in 1965. And uh, I was not serving the Lord back in those days. And in South Louisiana, Natchitoches is kind of the beginning of South Louisiana. And uh, they have a a card game called Bure. And it is an amazing card game. And it is uh, very mental. You have to to remember every hand that's played. And uh, I got very, very good at Bure. Bure was one of those games where you could, you could lose everything you have in one hand and, and win everything everybody else had in one hand. In fact, there are still people who owe me. But anyway, uh, I forgave them, forgave their debt. But uh, anyway, there was a place called the Fountain Blue Lounge. And we would go there every weekend, Friday, Saturday, and uh, play Bure. And they had a, a, a band. And uh, that band would be playing on the weekends. And the, the place where all the gambling tables were, were off to the, to the left of the bandstand. But they kept the doors open so you could see the band. And you could see people dancing out in, on the dance floor. And uh, so later, many years later, after I came to the Lord and 
and met Jesse and found out that he had a rock and roll band when he was in high school. And I asked him, I said, well, Jesse, did you ever play the Fountain Blue Lounge? He said, every weekend. I said, what year was that? Now, I'm, I'm older than Jesse. He looks older, but I am older. <laughs> I got to get my licks in because I know, I know he picked on me. So uh, anyway, Jesse was still in high school when I was going to the Fountain Blue Lounge. And uh, so he, he played there every weekend. I said, Jesse, do you know? And he told me what year it was, the same year. I said, did you know, we didn't, we didn't know each other then, didn't, had not met. You and I were in the same building every weekend for at least a year and didn't know each other. And don't you know God was looking down and said, if those two boys only knew what I had in store for them. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that an amazing story? And then, of course, uh, years later, every time I would preach in South Louisiana, in fact, I asked the Lord when I first went in the ministry, I said, uh, Lord, send me back to all the places that I went to regularly before I came to Christ. And most of them were in South Louisiana. So I, I got invitations to preach all over South Louisiana. And every time I would be in a church there, somebody would ask me, do you know Jesse Planters? I said, no, I hear his name quite often, but I don't know him. They said, well, and every, every pastor told me this. If you two ever meet, you'll probably be friends for life. So it was not until about, I don't know, uh, back in the 80s where I was preaching in New Orleans. And the pastor said, do you know Jesse and Kathy DePlanis? I said, no, but I hear the name every time I come to South Louisiana. He said, well, they're here tonight. And uh, do you mind if I bring them into the speaker's room and introduce you to them? I said, I'd love to meet them. So he brought them back. And Jesse and I just spoke for a few moments. Only had about 10 minutes uh, before the service started. And so we were walking out of the, the speaker's room. And I turned to Jesse. I said, Jesse, if you and I ever get more than 10 minutes together, we'll probably be friends for life. He said, I believe that. Well, it's 10 years later before we ever got that another meeting. And uh, 10 years later, that, that meeting we were doing, that's when a divine connection took place. And uh, now we're almost inseparable. In fact, uh, I call him my little brother. Did you know that his rock and roll name, his band, he called himself Jerry Jackson, J-A-X-O-N. I said, you've always wanted to be a Jerry, haven't you? You know what he did one time in the Believers' Convention? He stood up and said, Jerry Savelle, I believe, is one of the finest preachers that God ever, ever raised up. He said, Jerry Savelle, that man finds things in the Bible that most people would never find. He said, he's such a, a communicator. He's such a wonderful teacher. I'd love to be more like Jerry Savelle, but I'm just too tall. <laughs> You know, build you up to tear you down, you know? <laughs> but I love Jesse, and I know you had a good time with him. Amen? Yes. Praise God. Do you have your Bibles with you? Yes. Open them, first of all, to Proverbs chapter 29. By the way, before I ask you to read here, Jerry Ann's son 
my grandson, Preston, is here, along with his beautiful wife, Christian. They came, they live over in the uh, Corona. Corona area, I was going to say Ontario, but Corona. And uh, they are about to bless us yeah. with a, for me, a great grandchild. And for Jerry Ann, a granddaughter, praise God. Stand up, guys. Give them a good welcome. Amen. And of course, Rick and Nettie, Christian's mother and father, they're here as well. So good to see you guys. All right. Proverbs chapter 29, very familiar scripture. I'm sure you all know it, but I'm instructed of the Lord to bring it to you as we begin this uh, message tonight. Verse 19, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says, where there is no prophetic oracle from God, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no prophetic oracle from God, then the people cast off restraint. Meaning, when there is no prophetic oracle which will produce a vision, then people have no motivation. They have no drive. They, they have nothing that propels them forward. In 1991, while preaching with Brother Copeland in the uh, Southwest Believers Convention in Fort Worth, which I've had the privilege of preaching in every Believers Convention Brother Copeland's ever done. In fact, I'm not quite sure he could do one without me, praise God. <laughs> but anyway, uh, in 1991, I had preached in the day services and he always has me to do the Thursday night service as well. And he, he was introducing me and then he was walking off the platform and before he reached the, the steps, he turned and said, Jerry, wait before you start, the word of the Lord's come to me. And so he began, he came back up to the podium and began to prophesy over me. And one of the things that he said was, God is moving you into a new dimension of ministry beginning tonight. And it's the office of the seer. He said, God is going to begin to show you things in the spirit and then he'll hold you responsible for sharing them with the body of Christ wherever he might send you. And then there was many other things that he said along with that, but that was the main part of it. And then shortly after that, I'm out here in California, all over Southern California. And I had one night off and uh, it was on a Saturday night and I'm staying in Los Angeles and I knew Brother Hagen was going to be in Riverside. He'd, he'd, he'd been in Riverside the whole time I was out in Southern California, but I had meetings scheduled, so I didn't get to go to any of his services until Saturday night. So I had planned to be there and I've spent a lot of my ministry out here in California, so I know how long it takes to get from Los Angeles to Riverside. I don't like being late. I planned to leave early enough to get there. And, and I didn't call Brother Hagen to let him know I was coming. I didn't call any of his staff to let him know I was coming. I, I was just going to show up. And so as it turned out, the traffic was even more horrendous than normal. And you know what normal's like. <clears throat> and so I wound up being an hour late for the service. But I knew I was supposed to be there. And there were a couple of times I thought about turning around and going back but I, I said, no, I, I know I'm supposed to be there. So I persevered. And when I got to the service, I thought 
that Brother Hagin would probably already be preaching. But much to my surprise, when I walked through the back door, Brother Hagin was sitting on the platform with his head down looking in his Bible, and the Ramah singers were still uh, singing and uh, leading the people in praise and worship. So I didn't want to disturb anybody, so I just started walking along the wall to try to find a place on the back row. Well, apparently Brother Hagin saw me, and he stood up and said, you can stop now. Brother Jerry, God told me you'd be here. Come on up, I have a word for you. And so I went up to the front, and Brother Hagin began to prophesy over me. And then he said, in a little bit different terminology, the same thing Brother Copeland had said just a few days before. And he said, God's moving you into a new office of ministry. He said, and you, God's already spoken to you about it. You know what it is, but you've been a little hesitant to move into it. And the Lord told me to tell you, it's time for you to move in, move up, and move out. And he said, you know what I'm talking about? I said, yes, sir. So after the service, I spent a few moments with him uh, back in the speaker's room, and he began to talk to me about it. And he said, uh, uh, I encourage you to, as I mentioned uh, in that word, it's time for you to move in, move up, and move out. I said, yes, sir. So shortly after that, I went home, and then I came back to California. I was in Anaheim. And I got a call that morning at the hotel and his brother, Will Roberts. Brother Roberts said, Jerry, uh, are you preaching again tonight? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, is Carolyn with you? I said, she is. He said, uh, tell her to save a seat for Evelyn and I will be in your service tonight. I said, all right, great. I said, uh, can you get here a little early so I can say hello to you before I go out to speak? He said, we'll do our best. So they did get there a little early, just had time to say hello and then the usher took them out and set them next to my wife. And so after I got through preaching that night, Brother Robert said, I'm not going to tell you what I heard and what I saw while you were preaching. I'm going to write it to you in a letter. So when you get home, expect a, a letter from me. So several days later when I got home, there was a four-page handwritten letter from Brother Roberts on my desk. And the opening statement was, when I heard you tonight in Anaheim, I heard you preaching under a new anointing, and it was a prophetic anointing. And I encourage you, every time you go to the pulpit, preach prophetically. And then he went on with some other things. And, and uh, so my three primary mentors, when I first started in the ministry in 1969, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, and Oral Roberts, all saw and heard the same thing within a matter of a few weeks of each other. And so shortly after that, Brother Roberts asked me to come to Tulsa and do a minister's meeting with him at the Maybe Center. And we had about 2,000 ministers there. And Brother Roberts said, now I'm going to start it off tonight and then I'm going to turn it over to you and you close it out. I said, okay. So he got through preaching, then he called me up. And when I walked up to the front, Till and Daisy Osborne were sitting on the front row. And uh, as soon as the service is over, Brother Osborne came up to me and uh, he said, Brother Jerry, Daisy and I knew you were going to be here, and that's the reason we're here tonight, because the Lord's been, uh, ha has had you on our minds. We've been praying for you. And uh, he said, uh, God's moving you into a new dimension of ministry. And he said, and he's already spoken to you about it, hasn't he? I said, yes, sir, he has. He said, well, I just came to tell you, uh, go for it, you know. 
And of course, T.L. Osborne, I mean, you know, I loved Brother Osborne. He was everything I know. And I've, I've been doing world evangelism since 1978. I've had the privilege of preaching in 50 different nations, have offices all over the world, have built Bible schools and churches and orphanages and medical facilities and everything I know about world evangelism, I learned from T.L. and Daisy Osborne. So they were my fourth mentors. So all of my mentors saw and heard the same thing within just a few weeks of each other. So what else could I do, you know, but be obedient? So since that time, uh, during the month of October, since 1991, I've set time aside to specifically ask the Lord, what's on your agenda for the coming new year? And each year since that time, he has given me a prophetic word that I'm to take to the body of Christ wherever I go. And I don't change it until he says otherwise. And I preach on it all year long. And if he says, do it again next year, I do so. But usually every year it's a, it's a, it's a new word and I take it to, pe- to the body of Christ all over the world. In fact, the word I'm about to share with you now, uh, I've already taken it all over Africa this year. I've taken it all over the United Kingdom this year. I took it to Australia just a few weeks ago and I just got back from uh, England with Brother Copeland where I preached it there. So uh, I have preached it all over the world in, in just the last four or five months. And of course, the Lord has not instructed me to change it. So uh, that's what I'm going to focus on tonight. Now, some of you have already heard me talk about it. Some of you have been in the uh, victory campaigns that I do with Brother Copeland where I've talked about it. But if you haven't, then uh, uh, you're in the right place tonight. Praise God. Amen. Now, once again, without a vision, the people perish. Without a prophetic oracle from God. A prophetic oracle from God will produce vision. Now, this is the, 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 the word that the Lord gives me each year. That's my vision for that year. Now, every year when I receive it during the first couple of weeks of October, I say to the Lord, Father, if you don't mind, I would appreciate if you would confirm this in my life now so when I take it to the rest of the world, it will have validity that it's already working for me. Every year he's done that. In fact, whatever he has said to me, uh, I start expecting it to come to pass in my life and ministry immediately. And then when I take it to the rest of the world, I have my own testimony. And now, because I preach it all over the world, I get testimonies from people all over the world. Amen. Amen. So it will come to pass for whoever will hold fast to it and not let Satan talk you out of it. Amen. Amen. Now, you remember in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 2, it says, The word preached unto them did not profit them because when they heard it, they didn't mix faith with it. So if this is going to profit you tonight or benefit you tonight, then you're required to mix faith with it. Amen. In fact, uh, Brother Copeland and I were just in England last week and, and flying over there, he told me, he said, the Lord has been dealing with me about going back and preaching the fundamentals of faith. 
He said, uh, we got a lot of new people that are coming into the body of Christ who've never heard these things that you and I have been living by. I'm in my 54th year of ministry and I've been living this way for 54 years. And it's, it's sometimes it, you assume everybody knows what you assume they know, but they don't know it. And especially these new people that are coming in and boy, they're coming in by the groves. Amen. And so uh, we, we've got to go back to the basics, so to speak, to help build the foundation for these new people. Amen. You know, my, my three, of, three of my mentors out of four, they've already gone to heaven. And uh, we're like that next generation of, of, of word of faith people that have got to take the word of faith to the masses. Amen. So this, this goes right along with what Brother Copeland said, that it, it takes uh, applying the fundamentals of faith. You're never going to outgrow the fundamentals. Amen. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you've, how many years you've been living by faith. You never let go of the fundamentals. I remember, anybody remember ninth grade algebra? I hated algebra. I could not find any reason to like algebra whatsoever. And Mr. Nichols, my teacher, he came by my desk one day and he noticed that I was not doing the, the problems. I had a problem with the problems. <laughs> and he said, Jerry, you better learn this because you're going to need it for the rest of your life. I said, brother, I'm Mr. Nichols, I'm not going to need algebra for the rest of my life. I said, I just hope to pass it and then I'm going to throw that book just as far as I can throw it. <laughs> what am I going to need algebra for for the rest of my life? Well, Carol and I married, started having children. Jerry and Daddy, I don't understand algebra. Can you help me? I said, give me the book. Had to read the book again. And then I helped her with the, with the problems. I could hardly wait for her to come home the next day to see if I passed. And I passed, hallelujah. And then Terry came along. Daddy, can you help me with algebra? Give me the book. So I read the book again and helped her with her problems. Could hardly wait for her to come home the next day to see if I passed. I passed again. I thought, okay, that's done. I'm through with algebra. Then I started having grandchildren. They all wanted to learn algebra. Give me the book. Had to read the book again. Went through the same process. Okay. Preston didn't like algebra. Mark James didn't like algebra. Cassidy, I'm not sure if she liked algebra or not. Madison, the brain, she made straight A's and everything. She said, Papa, did you ever make A's in school? I said, yes, I did. She said, really? I said, yes, thank God for physical education. <laughs> I was an athlete in school. I made A's, hallelujah. So anyway, uh, Brother Nichols, I mean, I keep, my pastor was Brother Nichols. I keep calling Mr. Nichols, Brother Nichols. My ninth grade algebra teacher was right. I was going to have 
to have algebra for the rest of my life. Now I've got two great-grandchildren. And if the Lord tarries and I'm still alive, one of them's going to ask me, I'm quite sure, Papa, do you understand algebra? <laughs> so he was right. Now, I said all that because the fundamentals of faith you're going to need for the rest of your life. That's not something you learn and then put it to the side. Amen? So if what I'm going to share with you is going to come to pass in your life this year, then it's going to require you acting on those fundamentals of faith. Can you say amen? Look at your neighbor and say, now, it's important that you pay attention tonight. All right? Now, let me read this once again. Where there is no prophetic oracle from God, the people cast off restraint. Once again, meaning they, they're not motivated. They're, they, they have nothing that wakes them up in the morning. Nothing that, that puts them to bed at night. Every year when I receive a fresh prophetic word from the Lord, it creates vision in me, and that's what motivates me all year long. Amen. So the word that the Lord gave me for 2023, he said, tell the people that it's time for the maximum and the highest level attainable. The maximum and the highest level attainable. God's interested in you and I experiencing his best. Now, a number of years ago, we invited a man to come to our ministry and he speaks in a lot of Fortune 500 companies. And we were asking him to come and speak to our staff. And uh, when, he, when the service was turned over to him, he asked the question. It kind of caught us all off guard. We weren't expecting it. He said, how many of you in here believe dogs love bones? Well, everybody raised their hand, including me. My dog loves bones. He said, dogs don't love bones. They love steak. They settle for bones. Boy, I thought that'll preach. You know, if you lay a piece of steak down and a bone over here, the dog's going for the, the steak. Well, why has the body of Christ settled for bones when we could have steak? Amen. Some people are just satisfied, and I'm talking in the body of Christ, with just surviving. I mean, you know, they, 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 they're happy with just survive, breaking even, so to speak. I'm not. That's not God's best. Now, in my early years, uh, you know, being able to say at the end of the year, I survived, that was a great testimony. How many of you ever come under attack during the course of a year? Amen. And just being able to say, hey, we broke even. I was glad to have that testimony. But then I found out breaking even is not God's best. Winning a few, losing a few is not God's best. Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. Everybody say always. Now, I don't know what always means in California, but in Texas... It means no exceptions. God wants us to triumph always. That's maximum. That's highest level attainable. Amen. So why settle for winning a few, losing a few, when God 
has stated in his word that it's quite possible to win every time. Now, as I mentioned, I I was an athlete growing up. Uh, My favorite sport, my best sport was baseball. And I had ambitions of playing professional ball. And I started out as in Little League. And uh, I remember when, when the coach uh, formed the team and invited all of us young boys to come out and try out for the team. Uh, after a couple of weeks of practice, he said, now we're going we're gonna to determine who made the team and who, who didn't. And he, he lined us up. And he said, now I'm going to walk in front of you. And if I put my hand on your shoulder, you come stand behind me. You made the team. And if I don't put my hand on your shoulder, you didn't make the team. Well, that's kind of hard for young guys, you know, intimidating. And so my best friend, his name was Kenny Henner. And Kenny and I were the same age, but Kenny was normal size. I was always little Jerry. Every school I went to, Every class I was in, if I raised my hand, what is it, little Jerry? Because there was always a normal Jerry. So I got labeled little Jerry. And I hated it. I hated it being little. And, and I, I got mad at my mom and dad because they had something to do with it. <laughs> I got upset with God because I figured he had something to do with it, you know. And so I was little Jerry all the way through school. Little Jerry, little Jerry. So you, you wind up with a chip on your shoulder and you, when you're little, you, you wind up having to fight a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to prove you're as big as everybody else. Because the, the bullies always picked on the little guy, you know, to, to make them look big. So I got picked on a lot. My dad had boxed in, in the military in World War II and he taught me to box when I was just a young boy. And so that came in handy, praise God. (laughs) But anyway, uh, we lined up there and Kenny and I were standing there and and I knew I could play baseball as well as any any boy out there. And the coach came by and touched Kenny on the shoulder and Kenny walked behind him and he passed me by. He went on down the line, picked another couple of guys. And I thought, why didn't I make the team? I can play as well as anybody out here. So I, I asked the coach, I said, why didn't you select me? He said, you're too little. I said, I didn't think size had anything to do with it. I thought skill, ability. He said, well, I'm sorry, son, you're just too little. It crushed me. I mean, that's, that's, that's horrible to say something to a, a young boy who's waiting for the day to be able to play little league baseball. You know? And so... When we got home that night, oh, I was, I was devastated. And uh, I'm sitting in my room and <clears throat> my mother came in and tried to, you know, to, to cheer me up. It didn't work. My dad came in and my mother said, uh, Jerry's in his room, <coughs> excuse me, and he's been um, crying. By the way, you have to clarify everything these days. <coughs> this is honey and water, and it helps my throat. 
It's not Texas homebrew. Okay. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> my voice will get stronger in a moment. Uh, you know, when you preach every night for the last six months, it kind of wears on your throat after a while. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, dad came in the bedroom. He said, son, uh, don't, don't be concerned about it. He said, I was little like you and told the same thing when I was a boy. I said, dad, you were never little like me. My dad was built like this, huge biceps, huge chest. I said, you were born big. <laughs> it didn't help at all. And he did his best to, to cheer me up and, and he finally left the room and I'm sitting there crying. And then it dawned on me, crying is a sign of weakness. It's a sign of being small. And I stood up. Now, I didn't know the power of words back then. Yeah. I stood up and I said, I will never cry again. And I didn't. Yeah. I mean, for years. Now, I would get emotional, but I wouldn't let it come out in tears. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd fight it. I'd suppress it. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, the next few days when we got back to school, another man came and said, uh, some of you guys came out for the team and didn't make the team. We're starting another team. Come out and uh, practice with us this afternoon when you get out of school. So Kenny decided he didn't want to play for that other guy. He and I wanted to be on the same team. So we both went out and both of us made the team. Now, we practiced for several weeks before we had our first game. And then this coach stood up in front of us at our first game. And he said, no boys, it doesn't matter whether we win or lose tonight, it's how we play the game that counts. I lifted my hand. I said, well coach, it matters to me whether we win or lose. I said, if it doesn't matter whether we win or lose, why do we do all that practice? Why didn't we just show up and, and not even know each other, not even practice? It matters to me. If it doesn't matter to you, I don't want to play on your team. Because I want to play on a winning team. Amen? And it made him think. And he said, I apologize, boys. It does matter whether we win or lose. Let's go out there and win. You know, I'm giving the coach a pep talk. I don't want to play on a losing team. Did you notice they never go in the locker room of the losing team? They always go in the locker room of the winning team. And, and I remember one year, because uh, I'm gone all the time, I remember one year I, got, I was home for the NBA finals and it was the last game of, of the championship. And San Antonio was in the championship. I don't remember who they were playing, but I was home and I got to watch that game. And they won. And then they went into the locker room. And I believe it was, uh, uh, it was David Robinson that played for San Antonio. I believe it was David Robinson that they put the mic in front of. And uh, they said, uh, David, 
how in the world did you guys win? Nobody believed San Antonio would win the championship. He got up and he's about seven foot tall. He got up and said, it's what we do, man. It's what we do. <laughs> I thought that'll preach. You know, Jesse gets his sermons off of cornflakes boxes. I can get mine. I can get mine off of television. Jesse will say, he's probably watching to see if I'm talking about him. Jesse will say, uh, let's open our Bibles and he'll read one scripture. That's the last thing you ever hear about that scripture. The rest of the service is dysfunctional family. And 200 people will get saved. You know? So anyway, David Robinson says, it's what we do, man. It's what we do. So I said, okay. The next time somebody said, brother Jerry, how did you overcome that, that situation that looked so impossible? I stood up and said, it's what I do, man. It's what I do. Come on, try it. You'll like it. It's what I do, man. It's what I do. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get the, you know, the... I guess I'm, I guess I'm just too white, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, you know. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How are you winning when the odds are against you? It's what you do, man. It's what we do. Amen. You got it now. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night, standing front, at the foot of your bed going... If you don't remember anything else about the sermon, remember this. Okay. So, now listen to this from the message translation. The latter part of verse 19. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The message translation says, but when they attend to what God says, they are most blessed. When they attend to what God says, and what are we talking about? The prophetic oracle. When they attend to the prophetic oracle, then they are most blessed. Not like being blessed, but most blessed sounds like another level. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible says in Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, as you well know, in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, write the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. This is what we do every year when I receive the prophetic word that the Lord has me to emphasize. First thing I do is I, I have my media department to print it on little bookmarks like this. So we can give everybody in our church one. We want everybody on the same page. We want everybody believing for the same thing. We want everybody seeing the same vision. And so we, we produced this for them. 2023, the year of the maximum, the highest level attainable. Now, the previous year, we had bookmarks made for whatever that word was. And, and all the way, going all the way back to 1991. I keep these with me everywhere I go. I keep them in my, in my home. I keep them in my office. All of our staff members have one of these on their desk framed so that when they come in in the morning, Hopefully, they'll, the first thing they'll do is they'll decree it. 2023 is my year for the maximum and the highest level attainable. Amen. So 
we're, we're, we're following the prescription from the word of God. Once you receive that prophetic oracle, which produces a vision, then write it. Why? Because when you write it, and it's a proven fact that when you take the time to write it, you are more likely to see it come to pass than those who don't take the time to write it. Amen. Write it, make it plain. And then it goes on to say in verse three, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Though it tarry, wait for it, for it shall surely come. So notice, write it, make it plain, so it motivates you, keeps you focused, keeps you single-minded, okay? And even though it may not happen immediately, wait for it. Wait for it, why? Because the promise is it will surely come. Amen. Now, if you follow this advice from the Bible, these spiritual laws from the Bible, then you're going to come up at the end of this year and being able to say, 2023 was my year for the maximum and I went to the highest level attainable. How many of you believe that? Praise God. Amen. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. All right, now let's, let's go to... Uh, Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine, and talking about the basic principles of faith. And you know, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is our method of victory over the world. We're never gonna stop talking about faith. Never stop learning about faith. Never stop applying faith the principles of faith. Amen. And if this word is going to come to pass in your life, it's going to be because you applied the principles of faith. Yes. Amen. Amen. Now in Matthew chapter nine and beginning in about verse 27, you have your Bibles there with you, follow along with me. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. Now that's the first question that I believe God is asking you right now. Do you believe I am able to cause you to go to the maximum and the highest level attainable? See, that's the starting point. Do you believe God can do that? Well, I'm not getting a lot of positive response here. That's the first step. Do you believe God is capable of taking you to the maximum? Do you believe that he's capable of taking you to the highest level attainable? Amen. So obviously, if you don't believe that, then you got to work on that before you can go any further. I was in a meeting here not too long ago in Australia and uh, the Lord prompted me while I was going through this about like what I am right now. He said, stop and, and, and break the power of generational curses over people in here. Yes. 
You know, a lot of people have been told all their lives, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never achieve this, you'll never get anywhere in life, you'll, you'll never have anything. And if you've ever been told that, then it's quite possible that's one of the reasons that's holding you back. Because thinking of the maximum and the highest level attainable, if you've been told all your life, that's not possible for you. Then you'll struggle with that. Now, you wouldn't, most of you wouldn't, wouldn't doubt that it's possible for Brother Copeland. But who am I? Well, you need to change the image of yourself. Because you're just as much a child of God as Kenneth Copeland is, or Jerry Savelle, or Jesse DePlantis, or, or, or Nancy Dufresne. You're just as much a child of God as we are. You have access to everything we have access to. Amen. So the first question that is being asked you tonight is, do you believe he's able to do this? I believe it. I'm already experiencing it. In fact, we've, I just had a, a, another breakthrough yesterday. He just took me to another level yesterday, praise God. In fact, I could hardly sleep thinking about it last night. Hallelujah. And it's, it's not even, well, it's, it's, the month of June's not even over yet. I still got another six months. What do you suppose God is working on for me over the next six months? What do you suppose he's working on for you over the next six months? I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. How I many you love God? Well, God's got things prepared for you right now that you don't know anything about. But if you'll stay in faith, you'll be talking the testimony in a few days, in a few weeks, in a few months. Hallelujah. Amen. I want all God has for me. Now, I'm, I've been extremely blessed. I'm in my 54th year of ministry and I've been extremely blessed, highly favored. Oh my, favor is my favorite subject. I'm known for the favor of God all over the world. In fact, did you know there's a hip hop artist wrote a song about me? and the favor of God on my life. His name is Terry Minor. Look it up on uh, YouTube. It's called The Favor Flow. It's cool. I've had him singing in my meetings. He's a, he's a black man, a minister, and he does all this. And... I'm trying to get him to teach me. In fact, the, the, the song is called Give Me the Favor Flow and it starts out, give me the favor flow. Give me the favor flow. I want favor like Jerry Savelle. It's in the song. What songs are they writing about you? Picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Give me the favor flow. Give me the favor flow. I want favor like Jerry Savannah. 
In fact, he wants favor like Jerry Savelle so much, he moved from Tennessee to Fort Worth to be in our church so he could get into the favor flow. Amen. So I've, I've experienced the blessing of God, the favor of God in some of the most unusual ways. In fact, some people think I'm making these stories up, but I'm not. I don't have to. God, God does it. Amen. Amen. Favor follows me everywhere I go. Hallelujah. So I've been extremely blessed and highly favored. And if God never did one more thing for me, I could go to heaven saying, I must have been God's favorite child. But I know God. He's not done yet. The best is yet to come. Amen. See, we got to go to the maximum. We got to go to the highest level attainable, praise God. Amen. So notice here, Jesus asked this man, do you believe I am able to do this? Or these men, and they said unto him, yea, Lord. If you can't say, yes, Lord, I believe you are able to take me to the maximum and the highest level attainable, then it's not likely you'll experience it. So what does that mean? You'll have to lay aside all the excuses as to why you don't think it could happen to you. Well, you don't understand. Well, I may not understand, but don't let it hinder you from receiving God's best. Amen? It has nothing to do with your background. It has nothing to do with what family you were born into, has nothing to do with the color of your skin, has nothing to do whether or not you were raised a Christian. It's what are you doing with the Word of God right now, praise God. Amen? So the question is, do you believe I am able to do this? They said unto him, yes, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. If you are going to experience the maximum and the highest level attainable, then it's going to be based upon these same principles right here. Do you believe God's able to take you there? And if so, then according to your faith, be it unto you. Amen. So if you believe those basic principles right there, you ought to be shouting right now. Amen. Look at somebody and say, that's me he's talking about. I say, yes, Lord, I believe you're able to do this. Okay, then be it unto thee according to your faith. Amen. That means nothing, nothing can stop you from reaching it. Nothing can prevent you from experiencing it. Nothing. If you believe God is able to do it, you have faith for it, then be it unto thee according to your faith. Amen. And don't settle for bones when you can have steak. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, let's go to uh, another verse, another chapter in the book of John chapter 5. John chapter 5.
And you're familiar with this story. Let's begin in verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a Jerusalem by the sheep market of Pooh, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Will thou be made whole? Now notice from time to time in the ministry of Jesus, before he administers healing or deliverance, he'll ask a question. Some people have the idea that it's all based on Jesus' ability, but he asks the person, do you believe I can do this? He asks this person, will you be made whole? What person who's been in a condition for 38 years in his right mind would say, no, I don't want to be made whole. I just love coming to this pool every day. <laughs> huh? So notice, he's putting the responsibility on the person. The person could very well say, no, thank you. Will you be made whole? Let me ask it this way. Will you go to the maximum? Will you reach the highest level attainable? See, he's putting it back on you have a responsibility. This, this idea, well, if God wants it to happen to me, it'll just happen. No, it won't. It's not a question if God wants it to happen to you. The question is, do you want it? Will you be made whole? Will you go to the maximum? Will you experience the highest level attainable? So God is putting responsibility on you and me. Okay? Now, if you keep reading this story, you'll notice this man began to bring up his excuses as to why this couldn't happen to him. Obviously, he's crippled. And he says, uh, you know, according to the legend, uh, uh, an angel would trouble the water and whoever first stepped in received healing or deliverance from whatever disease they had. This man is crippled. And he says to Jesus, I don't have a man. He says, when I, when I try to get into the pool, someone always steps in ahead of me. That almost cost him his miracle. And the only reason it didn't stop his miracle is because Jesus had compassion on him. Amen. You know, I, I say it like this. Uh, they're grown young men now, but we had uh, two nephews, Carolyn's sisters, boys, and they would, they'd love to come stay in our home during the summer. They love their Uncle Jerry. And uh, so Brian was the youngest one. When he was just a little guy. You know, he would, uh, uh, we had a swimming pool out in the backyard, and Brian would be the last one to get up. And I'd say, Brian, 
Everybody else is out there swimming. He'd jump up, take off uh, to the bathroom, and then run out to the pool with no clothes on. <laughs> you know, he, he, was, he was concerned they were getting ahead of him, you know? And he didn't own on him to put the swimming suit on. He just took off, jumped in the pool naked, you know? <laughs> so I'd say, Brian, get out of there. You got to get some swimming suit on. And uh, he, he, was, he was a funny little guy. I, I, he wanted to go to McDonald's. A lot of times uh, while everybody else was doing something else, he'd say, uh, Uncle Jerry, would you take me to McDonald's? I said, Sure. So I'd say, well, you go get us a table. What do you want? And I'd go up in order. And I'd come back and sit down, and he'd say, Uncle Jerry? Now he's about eight years old. I've checked this place out, and I can whip every boy in here. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. Just, you know, eat your burger. <laughs> Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is if, if Jesus was to ask you, will you be made whole? And you say, yes, Lord. And Jesus says, well, I'm just wondering. Uh, really didn't mean you could be made whole. I just wanted to get a response. That'd be cruel. Amen. So notice here when Jesus asked the man, Will you be made whole? He's expecting a response that will give him the liberty to administer wholeness. And that's what he's looking for from you. Will you go to the maximum? Will you experience the highest level attainable? Amen. He's looking for a certain response from you a positive response. And if he gets that positive response, then just like in this man, then the result is going to be, according to your faith, be it unto you. Amen? So sometimes we think it's all on God. And ultimately it is. But we have a part. You know, if we didn't have a part then everybody in the body of Christ would already be enjoying everything that God's promised. But not everybody is. Not everybody will. But those of us who've learned how to walk by faith, those of us who've learned not to be moved by what we see, those of us who've learned the power of positive confession, those of us who've learned to, having done all to stand, stand then we continually experience the blessings of God and the manifestations of God's promises. Amen. 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 I'm in this to win. How about you? Glory to God. I like winning. I, I played baseball all the way through Little League. And then I graduated from Little League and went on up to uh, the ranks and eventually played for a farm league team sponsored by the Kansas City Royals. And I, was, I had ambitions to play pro ball. But I got distracted. A girl. <laughs> and I never played baseball again. I had two dreams. One was going to be, I was either going to be a professional baseball player or I was going to be a, a, a car racer, an automobile racer. That's what my dad did. So when I walked away from the baseball, then that 
begin to pursue my second dream. And uh, my dad raced on oval tracks and he raced sports cars during that season. But I was into drag racing. So that's what I was doing when Carol and I married. I had a 65 GTO <laughs> with a 389 and a four speed and three deuces. And it was fast. Carolyn had a Falcon with a six-cylinder engine. And she wanted me to go to church with her in that car. I said, Carolyn, I'm not going to be seen in that car. I got a reputation in this city. I can't be seen in your car. She said, well, I'm not going in your GTO. I said, why not? She said, you'll race everybody between here and the church. I said, you got that right. You know, woman in a Volkswagen is not going to beat me to the next light. So that's what I was doing when I came to the Lord in 1969. I owned an automotive business. I did paint and body work, restored classic cars, and Dad and I built hot rods and raced them. So that's what I was doing. And Kenneth Copeland comes to town and changes all my plans. God sent him there just for me, praise God. Amen. So notice here, will you be made whole? Do you believe I'm able to do this? These are questions that are still being asked today just like they were being asked to those people in the Bible. Amen. Because this is the basis upon which you give God the right to cause it to come to pass in your life. Amen. Everybody's still here. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 9 for a moment. Mark chapter 9. This is a story of a, a man who brought his son who was demon-possessed to the disciples and they tried to cast the devils out and couldn't. So he brings him to Jesus. And in verse 15 it says, and uh, I'm sorry, that's not, I'm on the wrong chapter. In verse uh, uh, 20, and they brought him unto Jesus and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and the waters uh, to destroy him. But thou can, if thou can do anything, have compassion on him and help us. Now notice how Jesus puts the responsibility back on the man. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now notice the man's wanting to put all the responsibility on Jesus. If you can do anything, help me. Jesus said, if you can believe, then all things are possible to him that believeth. So a lot of times we, we get the idea that, well, if it's truly a prophetical word, a prophetic word rather from God, then it'll just come to pass anyway. Not so. You have a part. I have a part. I'm doing my part. Are you doing your part? If not, will you start doing it after the night? Praise God. Because the same questions are being asked right now. Do you believe I'm able to do this? If so, then be it under thee according to your faith. Will you 
go to the maximum? Will you experience the highest level attainable? If you can answer yes, then be it unto thee according to your faith. Amen. If you can believe, if you can believe that God can do this, then it will be as you have believed. Can you say amen? amen? Come on, let's give the Lord a shout if you believe it, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I wrote in my notes here, very simple, simple words. If God said it, then he can make it happen for you. But your part is to believe what he said, he can make it happen. Now, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says this. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it? Shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken? And shall he not make it good? Amen. That's Numbers 23, 19. If God said it, is he capable of bringing it to pass? If he spoke it, Will he not make it good? Amen. Amen. So we know God will do his part. God will do his part. But the question is, are you doing your part? A number of years ago, and some of you have heard me uh, tell this testimony. What was it, Jerry, about seven years ago? Seven years ago, I went to have a physical and they discovered that there was a blockage in one of the arteries in my heart and they wanted to do a bypass. And so they did and I, I recovered miraculously quickly over that, was back on the job in a short time later. And then they said, there's a blockage in the artery in your neck where the blood flows from the heart to the brain and said it's about 90% blocked and, and we need to do an incision in your neck and remove that plaque buildup. And uh, it's a routine surgery. You'll be in the hospital overnight, maybe two nights, and then you can go home and just relax for a while, and then you'll be back to normal. So they took me in to do that procedure. The last thing I remember before they kind of put me out was routine surgery. I'll be back home possibly tomorrow. And so they did the surgery. Uh, Carolyn and my girls were there and uh, they had been there all morning. They asked the doctor, can we go have lunch and, uh, and then come, come back? Will he be in his room by the time we get back? He said, yes. So they went to lunch. When they got back, the doctor met them and said, uh, there's been a serious problem. Some of the plaque broke off and went to his brain and he's had a full-blown stroke. I lost total use of my right arm, my right leg, total memory loss. Didn't know anything. I was laying up in the bed like a vegetable. I didn't know my family. I didn't know Jerry and I didn't know Terry. I didn't know, I didn't know my wife. I couldn't speak but one word and that word was yes. And every time the doctor would come in, and I'd see his mouth no longer moving. I assumed he was through talking and I have no clue what he said. I'd just say, yes. Everything he said, yes. And uh, no memory, no memory whatsoever. 
He told my wife he will never be normal again. He'll never preach again. He'll never travel again. Uh, you're going to have to take care of him for the rest of your life or the rest of his life. And said, uh, and when we do release him, we recommend that you take him to a clinic where there's a chamber that he will spend four to six hours a day in to endeavor to rebuild the brain cells. But we can't promise it will help. So that was my condition. So I, I don't know anything. In fact, uh, the doctor came in one day and pointed to Carolyn and said, who is this? And I looked at her and didn't know. Pointed to Terry, who is this? I didn't know. Pointed to Jerry Ann, said, who is this? Now Jerry Ann, she's the feisty one in our family. <laughs> she got up right in my face and she said, daddy, I'm your firstborn. You know who I am. And they said, this came out of me, Jerry Ann Obama. <laughs> when they told me what I said, I thought, why in the world would I say that? I thought, well, maybe God was just giving me some insight and he was on his way out. You know, I don't know. But that was my condition. Okay. Now the doctor would come in every day. And he'd put a coloring book in front of me in my lap, and a child's coloring book, and paint to butter, uh, point to butterflies and birds and trees and leaves. What's this? I didn't have a clue. Couldn't, couldn't respond. If I didn't see his lips moving, I'd just say yes. Now, my son-in-law, Rodney, is married to my youngest daughter, Terry. Rodney's a character. He's, he's, he's our oldest son. Still a kid, okay? And I love Rodney, he's a character. Rodney come in one day and I'm sitting on the bed just staring out at the hall. And, and Rodney came in and sat down next to me. And he said, Dad, I was in here yesterday, I don't know if you remember or not, but I came in here yesterday and you told me that you wanted to give me your 1967 Corvette. <laughs> And I just wanted to know if I could come pick it up today. Now he knew the only thing I could say was yes. He's setting me up. And he said, now I don't even remember this. He said, I turned and looked at him like this and said, no. And he said, okay, he's getting better now. We can all go home. <laughs> so finally, the doctor released me to go home in that condition, okay? But even though I can't communicate, I knew in my heart, if they let me go home and put me in my own environment, I will recover from this. Sometimes the worst place in the world to try to recover is a hospital. Because they're all talking negative and talking death, you know? So I knew if they let me go home, I, I would recover. And I believed immediately. So they let me go home. And uh, my granddaughter, Rachel, she became my coach. And she'd take my hand. And, and once again, I'd have to hold this arm up with this hand because it's dead weight. It just falls aside. And, and, and she'd have to help me walk. Okay. And I'd sit down out in our uh, game room, our playroom. And 
she would put coins in a piece of putty and put my right hand on top of it and say, Papo, dig those coins out of that putty. I couldn't even move my fingers. Nothing would work. She said, no, Papo, she'd get right in my face. Papo, you're known all over the world for teaching people not to quit and I'm not going to let you quit. And she'd take my hand and put it on that clay. And I tried, the, the, the simplest things in the world became impossible. I couldn't, I couldn't even move a finger. And she, she wouldn't let me quit. Now, if I could have said something, I'd have probably said, when are you going home? <laughs> Leave me alone. You know, she wouldn't, wouldn't let me quit. And so finally I kept, I got to where a finger would move and I, I got enough of that putty away where I could see that coin. And she said a big smile came on my face. And I, and I eventually pulled that coin out of there. Then I, I, with my left hand, I pointed to the back of the property. She said, Papa, what do you want? I pointed to the property. I have a museum and it's full of classic cars and classic motorcycles. She said, do you want to go to your museum? Yes. So she helped me up. I held my arm up, walked outside, and she got me to the museum. She unlocked the door, turned the lights on, turned the alarm off, and I stood there and looked at everything in there. And I, in my heart, even though I can't communicate, I know, now listen to this, faith without corresponding actions is void of power. See, I learned that 54 years ago. And in my heart, I had determined I'm going to start everything in here before I leave this building. And I walked, I, she helped me over to my oldest Harley Davidson, which is a 1942 that actually saw duty in World War II in Russia. And it's been completely restored to its military markings. It's hard to start even when anything, everything on you is working perfectly. It's not electric start. And, and it's kickstart. Oh, how am I going to start a kickstart when I can't even stand up by myself? So she helped me over there and I don't remember how to start it. And my wife told me this. She said, Brother Copeland came up to the hospital and stood over my bed and preached to me for two hours. And she said, I don't know if you even remember him being there, but said the whole time he was there, even though you couldn't say but one word in English and that was yes, you prayed in the spirit the whole time he was there. Now later after I recovered, I asked the Lord about it. I said, why was I able to pray in the spirit when I couldn't say but one word yes in English? He said, it's because your spirit's not connected to your brain. Oh, that was a great revelation. Boy, if you ever, if you ever, if you ever get down and been told impossible to ever recover, pray in tongues because your spirit is not connected to your brain. Amen. So I just started praying in the spirit over that motorcycle because I don't remember how to start it. And I'm not leaving that building until I start it. And the spirit of God told me what to do. Did you know the Holy Ghost knows how to start a 42 Harley Davidson? Told me, turn this, turn that, do this, click that, this. And I said, and, and, and I indicated to Rachel, help me up. Get, help me get my right leg up. And I kicked on it three times and it started. 
Then I went over to my 46 Harley and it's the same way and got it started. And then I went to my 57 Harley and got it started. And then I got every motorcycle in there started, all my Harleys, all my Indians, all my Triumphs. And then I went to the cars. My oldest is a 32 Ford Roadster and I got it started. And then I went, my, I got an exclusive antique Corvette collection. I got all of them started. Corvette was first built in 53. My oldest one is a 54. And I got everything in there started and just left everything running. And I like to say the smell of fumes was exhilarating. <laughs> so wonder it hadn't killed me. You know, but I left everything running in there. And then I went by and turned it all off. Okay. And then Rachel's helping me get back to the door. She turns the lights off. She turns the alarm on. We get outside, she shuts the door, and I said, Rachel, give me the keys. She said, Papa, did you see, hear what you said? I said, what? She said, you asked for the keys. I said, well, give them to me. Wow. With my right hand. Amen. She gave me the keys. I locked the door. I took three steps. My memory came back, and within... Within two weeks, I was preaching all over the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Do I look like a man who would never travel again? Do I look like a man who would never preach again? Do I look like a man who'd never be normal again? Don't answer that one. But anyway, look what the Lord has done. Amen. Now, if you ask me, do you believe God can do this? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. You ask me, can God take you to the maximum? No doubt about it. You believe God can take you to the highest level? No doubt about it. Amen. And it's being unto me according to my faith and it'll be with you according to your faith. Give the Lord your best shout. Don't be like the man at the pool of Bethesda. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bringing up excuses as to why it can't happen to you. Amen. I've told people all over the world for many, many years now, the wisest investment that most Christians could make is a roll of duct tape. Put a piece across your mouth and just shut up. You can't talk the word, shut up. Amen. So I got a question for you tonight before we dismiss. Do you believe he's able to do this? Then be it unto you according to your faith. Will you go to the maximum? Will you go to the highest level attainment? Then be it unto you according to your faith. Amen. Sounds like to me you're a candidate. So if you really believe it's gonna happen, why don't you give the Lord your best shout in advance? Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. How many of you in here tonight 
are believing for buildings, land. How about dream homes? Do you believe God's able to do this? Will you receive it? Hold your hand up again. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I add my faith to these people that are indicating that they truly believe that you're able to make this happen for them. They truly believe that it's your will that it happened to them. They truly believe that it's part of the maximum that you want to take them to and the highest level attainable. And so Father, all that's left, we're doing our part. Now your part and it all work out just the way it planned. In Jesus' name, be it unto thee according to your faith and give the Lord a good shout of praise. I got to share this testimony with you because it's, it's, it's so big on the inside of me. It just happened yesterday. I've owned airplanes in my ministry since 1975. That's when I got my first one. And every, every time I'd outgrow one, I'd sow it into another ministry and then believe God for the next one. That's what I was doing when I gave Ed that 421. I had just, I just overhauled the engines, just put a new interior in it, new paint job, new avionics. I think I had 20 hours on that airplane, flew it to, to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and Ed was preaching that night. And the Lord said, show Ed that his prayers are still heard in heaven. Give him your airplane. I said, Lord, you want me to do this publicly or privately? He said, just hold your peace. Ed stopped in his sermon, right? I mean, within 10 seconds. Brother Jerry, God just told you to do something, obey him. <laughs> now, he didn't have a clue what the Lord had told me. In fact, he told me later, he said, I thought you was going to say, this woman over here in a red dress, God's healing you of cancer. He hadn't. He didn't have a clue what the Lord had told me. I said, well, Lord, apparently you want me to do this publicly. <laughs> so I went up to the podium. I said, Ed, You've been believing for an airplane and uh, I have your airplane and the Lord told me to sow it into your, into your ministry. I said, if you'll allow me to fly it back to Fort Worth, uh, you can fly back with me if you want to. I'll fill it up with fuel. I'll have my accountant out there with a title and you can call somebody and fly it home or I'll have my pilot fly it home for you. It's yours. Well, he was overwhelmed by it, you know. So that was my seed for my first jet, okay? Because the Lord told me, he said, that's your seed for your, for your first jet, okay? And then, of course, these things, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it in, in a matter of moments, but it didn't take moments for the jet to manifest, okay? I wish it had. No, it was still sometime down the road before that first jet manifested. And that was quite a story. You got time? Yes. Cessna built their first business jet in 1972. They were located in Wichita, Kansas. I was preaching in Wichita. 
and an executive from Cessna came to my meeting. After the service, he said, I'd like to take you on a VIP tour to the Cessna plant and have lunch with you if you have time. I said, yes, sir, I'd love to go. So he took me through every division, the 100 series, the 200 series, the 300 series, all the way through. And then he said, did you know Cessna now builds a business jet? Our first one is in, our first two are in the hangar. I said, I've been hearing about it, but I've never seen one. He said, we call it the Citation. And he said, uh, I want to take you into that division because number one and number two is sitting in there. So we walked in there. When he opened that hangar, I thought it was the most beautiful airplane I'd ever seen in my life. He said, climb up in number one. He said, sit in the left seat. So I sat in the left seat. He went over the avionics with me. Then he said, uh, go sit in the, in the back. He turned around. He was sitting in the right seat. He turned around and said, can you see yourself going to your meetings in a plane like this? I said, yes, sir, I can. I said, I'll have a plane like this one day. He said, I believe that. He was a Christian man. So we stepped out of the plane and I stepped about five steps away from that plane and the Lord spoke to me and said, turn around and call that airplane into your ministry and do it loud where everybody in here can hear you. Now there's factory workers in there. Now in the natural, you don't want to do something like that, you know. He said, turn around and call that airplane into your ministry. And then he had, I was about to do it and he said, now, do you remember your best friend when he was a young boy, Willie, Willie, William Taylor, you call, everybody called him Willie? I said, yes, sir. I said, what's that got to do with this airplane? He said, do you remember Willie's mother? I said, yes, sir. Now, Willie's mother was about four foot eight, but that woman could scream louder than anybody I ever heard in my life. <laughs> and Willie and I would be off in the woods playing, and when it's time for Willie to come home, she'd stand out on the back porch. Now, we're talking about country, okay? She'd stand out on the back porch, cup her hands like this, and she'd say, Willie! And the lead would go through the trees, through the woods. And the rule at Willie's house was, she better see him running toward the house before the lee was finished in her mouth. Now we're, we're out in a pond one time. We found a pond out in the woods and we didn't take any swimming suits, so we're skinny dipping out in the pond. And we heard, Willie! Willie jumped up, took off running naked down to the house. I'm right behind him with his clothes trying to get him on him. And, and the Lord reminded me of Willie. And he said, now, turn around and call this airplane into your ministry. And from this day forward, it'll be known as Willie. And call it in like Willie's mama called him. So I turned around. I said, in the name of Jesus, I call you into my ministry. And from this day forward, your name is Willie. Willie! Come on home, boy. I said, we can go now, sir. We walked out of the building. We didn't, he didn't ask me a thing until we got in his car. He's about to turn the ignition on. He said, do you mind if I ask you what that was all about? So I explained it to him. Yes, sir. 10 years later, 
That very airplane was my first jet. And I got, a, I got all the, all the uh, drawings from Cessna. They sent them to me uh, where they were designing that airplane. And they, they sent me a book and they said, normally our first model, number one of each series, we take it to show it, to take orders, and then we dismantle it. But for some reason, we did not dismantle this airplane. And the Lord said, the reason being is because you were obedient. I preserved it and I reserved it for you. Amen. Amen. So I flew that, I flew that plane for 12 years and then sold it. And then I got my next jet. And I flew it for a while and sold it. Then I got my next jet. And today I'm flying the finest jet I've ever owned. Take me anywhere in the world. Okay. Now, I keep my planes out at Meacham Field, downtown Fort Worth. And that's where I kept my first plane in 1975. And, and I, I keep it with a company called Texas Jet. And they, they really like us. They like our business. They, they, the, the owners, they really love our... They thank the world of us. They've been very kind to us. Very generous to us. But the hangar that I'm in, there are other company planes in that hangar. And I want my own hangar. Because I have, I have a, a, a backup airplane, a, a, a Citation 5, that when we're going shorter trips, we fly instead of the Falcon. Plus, I let my daughters use it on their meetings from time to time. So we, we keep two airplanes in that hangar along with these other company jets. Now, the, the, the building has offices in it, and I've just about taken up all the office space. Every time somebody moves out, I tell Texas Jet, I want the space. So I've taken up just about the whole FBO. <clears throat> but there's still non-believers with airplanes in my hangar. And I want Texas Jet to let me have the whole hangar, but it, it would be unprofitable for them because they get X amount of dollars for rent on these airplanes, plus they get the fuel for the airplanes. So they're not interested in letting me have the entire hangar. So I've been believing God. Well, there is a huge hangar down on the south side of the runway near the tower that used to, be, used to belong and they had it built by XTO Energy in Fort Worth. Then they sold it to uh, uh, Exxon. And yeah, and they had it for years. And then another gentleman bought it from them. And he had a company in there and had several airplanes in it. Well, now he's decided to uh, downsize and he wants to build a smaller hangar. And so he called me. He said, uh, I'd like to talk to you about my hangar. I hear you're looking for a larger hangar that is exclusively yours. I said, you have heard right. <laughs> Went over there to look at it yesterday. Oh, it can put my airplane in there 
both of my airplanes in there. It can put Jesse's in there. It can put Keith Moore's in there. It could put, it could put uh, Bill's in there. And whenever they come to town for Brother Copeland's meetings, I could house their airplanes in my hangar at being rent-free to them. Okay? Amen. Now, sometimes they have to take their airplanes to another airport alliance on the north part of Fort Worth, or sometimes they bring it to Meacham and, and see if they can find space to... Sometimes when... I'll ask, I'll ask uh, Texas Jet to move mine out so we can move Jesse's and Keith's in there in my spot because they're just going to be there a couple of days, you know? Right. And I don't mind it setting, setting out for a couple of days. But now, with this hangar, I can house them all and not, not have to charge them anything, just be a blessing to them. Amen. Not only that, it's so big and it's got so many offices I can have partner meetings in it. Not only that, but the guy is willing to work with me when at whatever I want to do. He, he already had a, a set of, uh, of rules and he's already changed them. Said, I'll do that for you. No problem, I'll do that for you. So we're this close to signing the deal. Hallelujah. Now, to me, I mean, I got pictures of it. I could show you. You talk about maximum. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you know how many companies in Fort Worth would love to have that hangar? And he chose me. Yeah. Amen. Like one guy one time, this similar thing happened to me. And he said, how did you get that when we've been trying to get it for years? I said, favor of God. He said, no, who do you know? I said, God. That's what the favor of God will do. So even yesterday, I have a testimony of going to the maximum and going to the highest level of time. And God is no respecter of persons. If you believe he's able to do it for you, then be it unto thee according to your faith. Give the Lord your best shout, praise God. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.